welcome to the Comparing Notes podcast, where three generations of pastors gather to talk about life and ministry. I am joined by my co-hosts, as always, Glenn and Andy, and we are excited for our discussion today. Now, we start all the podcasts always by going over a question to compare um, just our different generations and church experiences. And today's question is dealing with the first church that you were a part of. When you think back to that church, uh, what comes to mind and what was the thing that you appreciated most about the first church that you were a part of? Well, I'm the older. I'll go first. Uh, I grew up uh, in the Lutheran church. Uh, so uh, my first, so yes, so just that, that, that environment. But what I remember the most where my mind goes at, the, at its earliest would be the Christmas plays. The, the 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 Christmas Eve and the and the Christmas Day and just the whole build up for that having to uh, you know learn a little a little phrase or a little verse and be the shepherd or the angel or something like that so uh, uh, I also remember being freaked out the time I had to sing a solo and have never <laughs> sung solo ever since so anyway yeah Lutheran Church great experience as particularly uh, around the pageantry of Christmas. Well, as I've told you before, I kind of grew up in church because my dad was a pastor. And so the first church that I was a part of was First Fundamental Bible Church of Bondurant, Iowa. Um, Bondurant is now a suburb of Des Moines, I think, at this point. And uh, I think the church is still there, although the church building uh, has changed and expanded over the years. We lived in the parsonage at the time, um, which is, if you don't know, that's a house that the church owns and is usually closely connected to the church. So literally, I would walk out my uh, back door and into the, to the back door of the church uh, building. And, uh, and so I remember growing up uh, basically on the, the back steps of the church. Uh, I would say for me, the, the teaching and the uh, desire to teach and understand God's Word uh, was probably birthed there, uh, first in, in Sunday school and then uh, in services, as my dad taught uh, year over year to help people understand the Word of God. So that would be the thing that I would would take away. And Ryan, before you jump into yours, uh, going back to my Lutheran experience, um, of course, you would do the, the liturgy and we would do the uh, the Lord's Prayer. We'd do the, uh, do the different creeds and we could always tell and it was always important for me to find out who was new in the congregation. Because you could tell by the the tempo, the the pace of of how everyone prayed out loud together, those particular things, who wasn't uh, the normal uh, attendee, hmm. but who was visiting from outside because they were off just a little bit, <laughs> and that uh, was always a little trick there. Man, talk about being intimidating coming coming into church. Well, I uh, actually grew up at the church that I'm now pastoring, Community Bible Church. It was um, the church that the only church that I can remember as a child. I went to one before, but moved. We moved here before I was uh, uh, old enough to think back to what Eleanor was like. Um, and the thing that sticks out in my mind about church when I was growing up was we had an Awana program, and uh, we had a large Awana program. That actually the reason that my parents picked this church was because of the Awana program. And so it, it had a large pull from uh, area churches and people wanting to go to it. And so standing on the Awana circle, 
and the the uniforms and the jewels and the memory verses, all of that was fun stuff. We don't do Awana anymore for a variety of reasons, and it's I think as a ministry it's diminished. But that when I think about church and growing up, that's the first thing that comes to mind. Do you still have your vest with the little uh, crowns and the jewels that go on them? Okay, so funny story about that. Yeah, my mom made me get all the way through grade school. And I don't know what that's called now. I know Sparks was the younger one. So all the way through grade school. And so, so she, they had like this, they had this, um, wall hanging that you could display all of your achievements on. And of course she bought it and she put all of our achievements on it and she insisted on hanging it in my room and I would take it down and she would find it. And so I'd put it back up. So one day when I was 16, and I was like, Mom, I do not want this thing in my room. I took it and I threw it so far in the back of my of my house, my parents' attic that she could never find it again. And uh, about five years ago, we were <laughs> like back there looking at something in the attic, like, and all of a sudden I pull out this thing. I was like, Hey, look, you didn't find it again. So yeah, I had all of the, I had all the stuff. You didn't want to bring it and hang it in your office? No, it's in his bedroom now. Uh, <laughs> it's in my bedroom. She she comes back over to this day to hang it. I, okay, I but I digress to the actual topic. <laughs> we have wasted too much time <laughs> with that memory in your minds. No, the, I asked that question because the topic that we want to discuss today is uh, what makes a biblical church? What is church? One of the things that we have observed as pastors is um, there is a new trend, or now maybe it's not so new in the last decade, where people have left the established organized church and have gone more to the home church setting and uh, and have said, well, we, we don't need a church. We don't need the structure of a church. We can do church on our own. And it's really left us as pastors asking the question, what makes a biblical church? What has to be present in order for a church to be there? Now, obviously, there's a lot of um, desires and preferences that we have in a church. Uh, but if you boil it all down, what makes a church? Now, a, a, a wise theologian wrote this definition that I want to uh, offer for us to start our conversation. And then I, I would love to hear um, your guys just kind of riff on this, but also um, just the first question of starting with, as you define a church, what are those things that you have to see? This is, this is what one wise man wrote. A church is a local visible, regular gathering of believers under biblical leadership, holding an orthodox confession for the purpose of teaching the word, receiving the sacraments, fellowshipping together, and reaching the world. So again, a local, visible, regular gathering of believers under biblical leadership, holding an orthodox confession for the purpose of teaching the word, receiving the sacraments, fellowshipping together, and reaching the world. When you hear that, when you think of church, and when you think of those conversations that you might have with somebody saying, I don't need an established local body. Um, What would you say is is needed in order for a gathering to not just be a time of fellowship or a gathering, but to be an actual church? Well, I like the idea, first of it, being local and visible. I mean, I, I think we've come through a time, right, where we've had difficulties uh, with COVID, where some of us have not met or we've met virtually. And it's kind of, in one sense, ushered in a, or accelerated a movement that was already there, where church could be seen as something you attend online in a, in a virtual way. 
Um, but I think what we're seeing and and the thing that I would emphasize from the New Testament, it seems like those churches gathered together physically and visibly in a in a place. And I know that somebody could argue, you know, my my virtual meeting, you know, on Zoom or streaming a service is at is a quote unquote local gathering. But I, I would actually argue in some ways against that because I think there is something of people being in the same room, hearing one another worship, encouraging each other. I think the substitute of being isolated in different different places and different venues has, um, we've seen some, some difficulties with that. Um, and even, I would, I would even argue, maybe even somewhat controversially, uh, the whole satellite church model of, uh, you know, I'm a, I'm a church here and I'm going to beam, this pastor is going to beam himself into these places and have other churches, other places. I, I would, that definition, and I would argue the Bible, I think, argues somewhat against that, that there is a local gathering to minister to those local people in that place. Those are my initial thoughts. I'm all for fresh expressions of church, but it's but it's that last word that we're wrestling with. So what's what's church? What's a fresh expression of a church versus a fresh expression of a Bible study or of a gathering mm-hmm. of, of some other sort. Um, and I think that goes back to what we re- talked about in a, in a recent podcast between the categories of essential, convictional, and preferential. Um, as I was reading, looking, I was taking notes as you were reading that, um, what was the sentence after the orthodox, that they were, it was orthodox? Uh, holding an orthodox confession for the purpose of teaching the word, teaching the word, re- yeah, receiving yeah. the sacraments and fellowshipping yeah. together. Yeah, I, I I counted nine of those that that you mentioned. Um, <clears throat> um, you know, when it comes to church planting as well, uh, or is what we're talking about, when is a church planted? At what point? I think you have to have the intention of being a church is one. You could have all these, but not have the intention of being a mm-hmm. church. And maybe that's what the leadership component, you know, that you're really not. I know I was on staff with the parachurch organization, college ministry. We did a lot of these things, um, but they specifically didn't intend to be a church, even though they could say that they did most of those at some point. So I think intention is important, but then again, uh, you know, we're talking about that local and visible things that are brought up gathering, you know, my mind goes back to, when I'm talking fresh expression of a church, I'm just thinking acts two forty two to 47, uh, you know, when they first gathered and then as you continue to go through acts and how it would play that gathering and, and what they did as it would play itself out in the different places that the apostles went, um, you saw those same elements, those essential elements continue to, to play, uh, to be seen. Of course, they didn't have the technology then to uh, be able to face the question of what it would be like to be virtual or to have people beamed in or not. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess uh, I'll, I'll end my riff with this. Um, if it was, well, let's let's put let's put rural. Let's put rural West Nebraska, you know, where you don't have access to to maybe some of the, the opportunities that other churches do that are in the city 
and so forth. Is it is it worth beaming in either the the worship, the YouTube uh, worship uh, karaoke style that you can have to kind of help people engage in, in the worship aspect, or to to bring in someone to to speak, you know, uh, via the internet as well to get you God's word. Um, how important is it to have the you know, what that does to one's spirit or what that does to one's mind over and against having it be someone local uh, that you really don't have access to. I guess I'm more more open to that kind of thing if it's done for the, the, the reasons of the heart and the soul, not the reasons of the ease and the, the maybe the, the laziness that can set in, in in all of us as far as working out our own sermons or working up our own worship service. Yeah. I've spent quite a bit of time considering the, how the landscape of virtual church, what it's doing to the landscape of general church, because I think as a society, we were heading towards a virtual church and those virtual realities. COVID obviously catapulted us and probably jumped us ahead a decade. And, so in a matter of two weeks, people were considering things that they wouldn't otherwise be considering for um, several decades to come, and that is how to do church online. I know for our case, we were at church for 12 weeks, and that caused us to—we were online for 12 weeks. That caused us to ask questions that I would never have considered to ask, like, is it appropriate for you to watch a sermon online and to take communion in homes as families as a gathering? Um, is it a appropriate for that to for a, a a virtual reality of church in either a YouTube video or um, a watching a live stream to uh, supplement to more than supplement but to um, supplant the idea of actually gathering for corporate worship uh, and now I think as, as as a society as a generation is connecting more on a phone, it's easy for us to say, okay, online is is the same thing as in person because you're more comfortable online. And yet, the more I wrestled with it, the more I considered it. It's the I, I the balance that I'm trying that I want to strike is I want to meet people where they're at. For some of those people, it's online. Um, like I'm thinking of there's a there's a meta church, and they have created. However, I've never seen it. I don't know it, but supposedly they've created this this building in the metaverse, whatever the heck that is to be a church. And then it plays the sermon. And so it's this live stream of a sermon and people think that they actually go to church because they go to meta church and I'm willing to meet people there. But I think there is something to be said for as you're, as you're gathering them into the church, that it's local, that it's visible, that it's regular uh, gathering in person for believers, because we can only optimize life to a certain extent. As much as I love the fact that we can do this podcast over a t, you know, over a computer, and we're all, and we're in three different states at the moment, our if our relationship was only that deep, it would we would suffer. Um, and so, as a believer, if you're only connected to a church that is virtual, not in person, not local, not visible, you're going to suffer. And I would say that Paul, the Apostle Paul, who wrote a lot of the New Testament, got to say a lot of stuff about church. I think he would probably say, "No, that's not it." Mm-hmm. Yeah, because what we didn't, what, what I mentioned Acts 2, but I'm also thinking of, uh, of 1 Corinthians 
12, 13, 14, and just we've been placed into the body of Christ with different gifts to come alongside. And we're talking about more than just that Sunday morning experience. We're talking about taking care of each other and coming alongside and, and doing loving on each other in ways that you can only do through crises, uh, you know, personally and relationally. So I think there's a shadow, there's a form of, of church you can get uh, for certain contexts, maybe certain seasons or times, but uh, it's hard to get away from that local, visible, regular uh, opportunity you have to fellowship and minister to one another. It's interesting to me to contrast. I mean, I don't want to turn this just into a, a streaming church discussion, but it is interesting to me to to contrast kind of what's going on today versus turn of the century Methodism, where you had circuit riding preachers um, that would go. In my understanding, they would go to supplement those congregations. They they weren't the primary pastor, but they would be on a circuit preaching. Um, and encouraging and equipping those churches that they could function without them, um, almost in a apostolic kind of mm. you know New Testament mode, um, because of the the way that the West was expanding and things were happening. Um, and so I, I guess I have a um, while I'm not a Methodist and I'm not advocating that kind of a system today, um, I. I have a little bit more of a love and an imp- an inclination that for that versus a streaming type of reality because it's the supplementing of a local visible congregation. I think this also goes back to uh, the the need to be a church. The under shepherd needs to know their flock, and the flock needs to know their shepherd. And so many of the church iterations that we have today, um, satellite was brought up, live stream definitely falls under that. There is a, um, it's, uh, pastors are allowed to not know their sheep. And sheep are allowed to have pastors that aren't, that they don't even attend their church. I know I have heard from um, multiple people that that, that they'll say, well, my pastor is, and they will quote, They'll reference some guy they've never met. They don't know their name. It's their favorite podcaster. It's their favorite communicator. He's on a different coast than than they're on. But he goes, but he's my pastor. And I don't know, this is a little different angle to this, but I don't think that's, I know that's not how church was supposed to be. Yeah. Yeah. The question is, what's the most effective church? It might be church in, in certain things, but what's, what's the most effective what's truly being ministered to and how i'd love to have someone from the persecuted church be with us today talk about essential church Mm -hmm. Um, you know and if they were to come to the states would they carry on church that same way i would think not i think we would find out that they would appreciate some of the preferences um and things that that we do have but it also scares me to think of what they they could lose in some of what we're talking about as far as the relationability and the the priorities that they would they had to have back where they where they were persecuted. when Andy first said visible at the end it pulled out those two words I did think well how does the um underground church how does that work but my thought is it's visible because 
they know who's in the church. They might not have a building and a sign and a website and a social media account, but they know who the church is. It's where two or and three it's in those areas where the church flourishes the most because that it, it there is that knit together. You know, their hearts are knit together by the love of Christ because they don't have the ability to have a building. So the sad part is, I know at least in, in, in our area here in, in Nashville, there are people who go to a building and think that they're a part of a, a church, but they attend a service. They're, they don't, it, it, they don't experience the, the, the weight and the beauty of what it actually means to be a part of the body of Christ, like an Acts 2 mm-hmm. um, type of fellowship. And just moving on in this, um, in this definition that I, I will out the, the, the wise theologian who wrote this. These, this, these are Andy's words, who a uh, text thread that him and I were going um, back and forth between. Uh, Andy, you brought up under biblical leadership. And just thinking about the pastoral epistles, First Timothy, Second Timothy, and Titus, uh, really the things that I, if you can pull out for what is what does Paul instruct Timothy and Titus to do there? It is preach the word, set up elders, and um, maintain a, a some sense of gathering and structure there. And uh, it is, I think, biblical leadership that is truly when a church can it it rises and falls on its leadership yeah that those words there are not meant to emphasize definitely an ecclesiastical uh, organization um i didn't write those organizing elders or deacons or however you think of ecclesiastical structures but i think there's got to be some level of organization and leadership and i would argue leadership that's biblically um, qualified um, and biblically recognized, um, whether that's, you know, ordination in a denomination or just locally um, recognized, that 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 leadership has got to be there. It can't just be a a gathering of a group of people that are organized, you know, uh, and you, we had mentioned before, a lot of historical de- historical definitions of churches included church discipline, um, and that only happens when you have biblically oriented um, and biblically qualified leadership. Um, it, it, outside of that, that's not going to happen. I think biblical leadership would find itself in a in a church as to whether they do the sacraments or not. Mm-hmm. Sacraments would be easy to neglect or or, or forget about. But who is it that's going to be biblically uh, astute enough to to recognize that that is a part of being the church? It's, mm-hmm. it's they are you know commands and things that we can do. So kind of whoever brings that up uh, shows some biblical leadership there. If it's not brought up, might show either a deficit in in the biblical or a deficit in the leadership that you truly have. Just for the sake of time, I, I wanted to jump down to the last descriptor that was given, reaching the world. And this one in particular um, hits close to my heart because one of the things, frankly, I've been convicted over as a pastor looking at, at, at so many churches is how we, we can get the, the local, the visible, the regular, the leadership, the orthodox confessions, the teaching, the sacraments, the fellowship, but we miss the evangelism. And we create these um, these centers of 
uh, theological study. And instead of building platform and foundations to take the message of the gospel out to the world, we build ivory towers to, to keep it in. And we only, we, we are friendly with those who are, who, um, you know, come into our midst, but we don't have this outward facing evangelism. And, um, I think in, in, in many respects, we've lost the, the passion for, disciple making from a great commission standpoint of Matthew 28 um, and from a passion for evangelism because evangelism is the messiest part of this whole definition because it's when when you have to take the 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 knowledge that we have of what Christ has done for us and the love that he has given us and going out um, and so I'm glad that you put that in there at the end because it really highlights if a church is not reaching the world if it's not making disciples if it's not evangelizing maybe it's missed its calling in its fullest sense. Yeah, I'm prepping for a Thanksgiving Day service, and and I was looking at 1 Thessalonians, and Paul's prayer there is his thankfulness for the way that the church out of Thessalonica had become known, not only in that city, but really in the region, and then their influence had gone out beyond that for the gospel. And um, I think yeah, I think you're exactly right that we we can become inward facing and um you know that that evangelism can look at like different things. There's not an argument there that it's a certain program. Um mm-hmm. I would actually argue maybe it's less programmatic and more personal. Um but it, it there should be a, a component of that um that should be both I think both local and global. And my experience, limited as it is with the virtual church, is some of those leaders uh, that lead that, they lead it for evangelism readings, uh, reasons, uh, knowing that it might not be the ideal church, but it is the, the church that, that is able to, uh, to reach an audience that wouldn't come to their local visible regular gathering, but will regularly because they're there regularly uh, online. And find find a church, quote unquote, uh, there to be able to become a part of, and then hopefully ushered into the local visible regular gathering body. So, just to wrap up our, our discussion, just one last question for both of you. Uh, I I have in my mind this young family, and it, it's a faceless family. I'm not thinking of anyone in particular, but this young family that because they've been hurt by one particular organization and, and church, they think that they can they can do church a different way. And their way of doing churches, we're no longer going to be connected to an established, local, visible body. Being Americans, as we just touched on from last week, that has a, that has a building, that has a gathering, and they want to do home church or they want to do it on their own. If, if this couple was sitting in front of you and asking, for your counsel, how would you encourage them um, with the word, but as, as, you know, pastors, how would you encourage them to express the need um, and the requirement that the Lord has for them to be a part of a local visible body? Well, my, my first thought is to grieve with them. I mean, Hmm. I, I think they're probably, the way you describe them, they're probably hurt um, and hurt deeply. And for whatever reason, 
Um, it, it would begin with grieving with them and acknowledging the the difficulties and the scars and the pains that they have, um, and, and acknowledging that churches are not perfect. No, no church, you know, is going to be unsoiled. Um, then I, I, I would lovingly encourage them to kind of think about some of those markers. Uh, maybe they are going to be in a, you know, there are home church movements that have those, those type of realities. Now, I, I do think it's a little idealistic to think that they won't reproduce some of the difficulties. Um, I, I think sometimes folks get into those movements and it's reactionary, like we're not going to do X, Y, or Z. The problem is, is they're going to end up doing, you know, the opposite of X, Y, Z, which will be just as bad, if not worse. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and I think the the danger of untethering that from a good historic, well understood theological confession would also be a major concern of mine. Yeah, I appreciate the way you you jumped in on on it that way, Andy. Um, I think too, just using those nine markers that 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 you've given us to kind of poke and prod. And just see how well have they thought this through, um, how much of it is a reaction, how much of it is uh, uh, yeah, is, in, is, is well-intentioned. Uh, so if their neighbor finds what they're doing and, and they have a conversation, that neighbor uh, comes to Christ, um, are they getting invited into, into the church, you know, into their meeting? Or not? Are they going to keep how how closely tied are they? Are they going to be that mission minded and and so forth and so on? And then as another neighbor comes and hears about it and joins in and just kind of play out how uh, how their church would grow and how they'd have their own decisions to be made and how they would make those based in line with what they've learned from from uh, other experiences that they've had. So uh, I actually enjoy those kinds of conversations, both for what I learn and hopefully for what they learn and and can better hone in on what what it is that God has intended and why when he gave us his church. Hmm. Well, guys, that's helpful. Um, Andy, thank you for the uh, definition. That was an, an, yep. an encouraging to receive and great to, to think through. Well, thank you for listening to the Comparing Notes podcast. Um, hope that you enjoyed this conversation as we talked about life and ministry, and we hope that you'll join us for the next one. Thank you for listening to the Comparing Notes podcast. If you'd like to contact us, you can do so by emailing us at comparingnotes at gmail.com. 